That's what we talked about last week. So we've been in the book of John, and I want to give you a quick recap of where we were last week, because we read in John 14 last week how Jesus gives us a new command. He says, let me love you. Let me wash all the muck and mire that you've been crusted with in this world off of you. The grief, the pain, the betrayal, the the sorrow, the heartache, the disappointment, all of it. Your failures, let me wash that off of you. Now I want you to love others in the exact same way that I've just loved you. That's the command. And as we love others, Jesus promises to give us the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says that the world doesn't, isn't able to see or understand the Holy Spirit. And we talked about why this is the case with a nifty graphic. Do you remember this? Shrug your shoulders. Don't fall asleep. Jesus, help. Ready? Here it is. Here's this incredible, here's the pain, the muck, and the mire. And if God doesn't exist, then what you have to do is you have to wash all of this off with particular strategies. So you're going to isolate. You might numb. You might turn into a machine. I'll just work harder. You might say, oh, I'm a victim, and and then you're entitled to take things. Or you just blame other people for what's going on in your life, and then you don't have to take responsibility for any of it. Or you just consume things, hoping that getting more will make you feel better. Or you're in denial. That's a river in Egypt, right? Um, Oh, this didn't happen to me. I'm fine. Uh, Or I'll perform, so I'll don't look at this over here. Just look at my, my shiny, wonderful pieces over here. And then finally... We have this sense of entitlement that what we get to do is we get to, we get to get anything that we want in order to make us happy because after all, we're just animals on a merry-go-round and we have one shot and we might as well just grab and take everything we can. That's what it looks like to live as an orphan. That's what it looks like to live apart from God. And when you do, you're blind to the Holy Spirit. Because you've started with the proposition that God doesn't exist, the Holy Spirit is not existing, and therefore this this is the only solution. I was talking with Jen Doba at the second service last week, and she goes, I just took the Enneagram test, and like literally all of these nine things are all the different nine coping strategies of the major nine personality groups. And I said, what's an Enneagram? I thought that was pretty cool. She's like, are you kidding me? I have goosebumps. So let me ask you a question. What happens when you get to know Jesus? What happens when you start trusting him? What happens when you start saying, okay, God, you're real, and I'm going to talk to you, and I'm going to listen to you? What happens when you invite the Holy Spirit into your life? Well, some pretty interesting things happen, and here's the promise that is right on the heels of this passage in John 15.1. You've probably heard this before. Read it with me. Here's the promise. Jesus says this to us, his disciples. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. He'll go on to say, I'm the vine, and you are the... Yeah. So what does he do with us? Is he starts pruning us. And so then there was a second graphic last week, and here's the pruning process. He takes our isolation and he says, you know what, I'm with you. You're not alone. You're not orphaned. You actually have a community. And he takes that 
that strategy for us to numb with alcohol or drugs or chocolate or pornography or whatever it is. And he says, you can feel now. And he says, you don't have to be a machine. I've done everything you need to do. You can actually rest in me. And he says, you can be a human being rather than a human doing. And he says, you don't have to be a victim. I've taken all of that on my own shoulders. Right now, what you can do is you can be my beloved. And you don't have to blame anybody. I've taken all of your blame. I've died for you. And so now you can trust me. And instead of trying to consume everything and absorb everything, what you could do is that you could actually choose to be generous because I've given you all things already. And instead of um, that entitlement, what you can do is, is that you can understand that all that I've given you is an amazing gift called grace. And instead of denying how you're feeling or your pain or what you're going through, you can be honest. And instead of performing, you can rest in all that I've done for you because my righteousness is now granted to you and now you get to celebrate. And when Jesus, Jesus starts pruning all of these things away that aren't bearing fruit, the Holy Spirit creates new branches and in its place, love and joy and hope are replaced in your heart. Amen? Amen. I thought that was pretty cool with the fireworks and everything. You were way more impressed last week. Last week, you're all like, whoa! And this week, like, okay, yeah, that's fine. All right. Good. <clears throat> so, John 16, we're just going to focus on a couple verses this week. And Jesus is going to continue to teach us who the Holy Spirit is, and how the Holy Spirit works, because the Holy Spirit is involved in all of this process. And we're going to find out exactly how the Spirit does the pruning and the growing of all good things. Yeah? yeah. Let's pray. Jesus, we need your help. We need your help to stay awake. We need your help to uh, remove us from distractions. So we bind up and silence anything opposed to Jesus that would be seeking to put us to sleep or distracting us. Or moving us away from what you have for us in this moment now in Jesus' name. God, protect us. Help us. Even for those listening online right now, Lord, protect them and bless them. And Jesus, we need you to speak to our hearts. And so we give you permission, Holy Spirit, to speak to us. To divide from our spirit the old man. And help us. And grow in us new life. We say yes, Holy Spirit. And all God's people said? Amen. Amen. So Jesus is still in the upper room with his friends. They've eaten their Passover meal together. And of course, you know, it's a Passover meal. Normally a lamb would be the centerpiece of the meal, but there's no lamb in this Passover meal because Jesus says, I'm the Passover lamb. Right? And so they've had this Passover meal together. And Jesus is then going to tell the disciples, What's going to happen next? Read with me John 16, verse 7. Very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus is promising to send the Holy Spirit to us all after he leaves. And that's no small thing. I know that the disciples are confused about what's going to happen next. They don't really understand where Jesus is going. Philip is asking him, right, just text me the address. Like, like just tell us where you're going. We can go with you. And they still haven't picked up 
what Jesus has put down for weeks now, which is that he's going to be crucified and, and, and buried, and then he will rise again, and then he will ascend to the Father. They have no idea. They, they haven't connected the dots yet. And so Jesus is promising to send the Holy Spirit, which is good. Jesus is a person, which means he can be in one time in one place in this moment of history. And so spending the Holy Spirit means that he can, the Holy Spirit can be everywhere with all people at once. And then, of course, the disciples, they, their ears would have picked up like, you're going to send the Holy Spirit? Because they know from their Bible, the Hebrew Scriptures, that anytime the Holy Spirit rests on someone, like amazing things happen. Holy Spirit rests on David, he becomes king. Holy Spirit rests on Elijah, he starts doing miracles. Like literally calls fire out of heaven. Holy Spirit rests on Moses. What does Moses do? You know, he just leads a million plus people into freedom. So what are the disciples thinking now that they're going to get the Holy Spirit? It's like, watch out, man. I'm going to clear house. These Romans, they don't know what's going to happen, right? I mean, they're just like really, really excited. But then this word advocate is an interesting word. It's the Greek word. Next slide, John. Parakletos. Say that with me. Parakletos. And it means advocate or helper. In the ancient world, it meant um, basically a defense attorney. Someone who would stand next to you before the judge. And in the Hebrew scriptures in the Old Testament, it was an advocate before God. Like in the book of Job, someone, a friend who would come along your side and fight and, and argue and work for your freedom. Does that make sense? So just connect the dots now. What is Jesus saying about the Holy Spirit? Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit is your counselor, your advocate, your defender. The Holy Spirit will always be right by your side, fighting for your freedom, giving you the best possible advice to navigate whatever sticky situation you're in. And ultimately, the Holy Spirit <coughs> will help you set you free. Free, And Martin agrees. Right? That's the baby. That's Pam, Pam and Ben's baby. We love you. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is standing right by your side. The Holy Spirit is protecting you, defending you. The Holy Spirit is fighting for your freedom. The Holy Spirit is giving you the best possible advice for you to navigate whatever tricky situation you find yourself in. The Holy Spirit is helping you to be set free. That's what the advocate does. You're speaking Aramaic. I love it. You're saying, I agree. This is fantastic. Verse 8, read this with me. Now Jesus is going to explain more what the Holy Spirit does. And when he comes, about sin, because people do not believe in me. So when the Holy Spirit comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about three things. Which means, uh, and that proved to be in the wrong, that's the word convict. It's simultaneously uh, correcting error, but also proclaiming truth. That's what conviction is, right? When you know the mistake that you've made, but you also know what you need to do. By the way, 
If you're struggling with something right now, you already know what to do. The struggle isn't about what to do. The struggle is whether or not you can actually give up that old habit and whether or not if you give it up that you'll actually get the comfort and hope and peace that you need. You already know the right thing to do because the Holy Spirit is with you. The struggle is not about what to do. It's about will you get what you need if you finally trust Jesus? And the answer is yes. Amen? Amen? Okay, so the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he's going to prove to the world or convict the world of three things. Number one, sin. Number two, so that's what's wrong. Number two, righteousness. That's what's right. And number three, judgment. That's who wins. Mega descents? Okie dokie. Verse nine. Now, Jesus is going to explain the first one which is about sin. About sin because people don't believe in Jesus. Now, um, that's, uh, this, this is really interesting. So the problem with the world is that people don't believe in Jesus. Now, I know that might feel a little bit simplistic, but it doesn't make it any less true. And you and I, we love to figure out what's wrong with the world. When my friends and I get together, we sit outside, outside in the back porch, and we talk for hours, and we come back inside, and my wife says the exact same thing to me every time. Did you solve all the world's problems? <laughs> yeah, we solved all the world's Because that's what we like to do, right? We like to diagnose and figure out what's wrong with the world, and we know exactly what's wrong with the world. If you're under 30, you know that old people are the problem. If you're in my generation, if you're in your, in your 40s, you know, as Generation X, you know that the baby boomers are the problem, right? They've messed everything up, okay? If you're a baby boomer, you know that you are the problem, right? Okay? And if you're in the Korean War generation, you know that the problem is everybody that's younger than you, right? They keep on messing it all up, okay? But all our ideas about what's really wrong really boils down to this simple truth. Read this with me. Next slide, John. When you miss Jesus, you end up missing everything. Now, now you end up missing everything. At first, you can get a lot of things right. Um, without Jesus, you can still do a lot. You can build a family. You can build a business. You can build an empire. The thing is, is that ultimately at the end, none of it will last without Jesus. In the late 1890s, there was a man who had more money than the combined wealth of 95% of the U.S. population, and his name was John D. Rockefeller. And Rockefeller was a Christian. He attended church every week. He went to two Bible studies at his home that he and his wife led, prayed every day with his bride, and yet there was one area of his life where he did not include God at all, and that was his business. And his business was the purpose of getting rich and, and getting all the money that he could. He wanted to build an empire, and boy, did he. Uh, he, he. He owned Standard Oil, which was the only, basically the only oil company for the entire United States and half the known world. Guy made a lot of money, right? And he was absolutely miserable because of it. His marriage was falling apart. His kids hated him. They were becoming entitled and spoiled. It, it was, everything was unraveling at the seams. 
And one day uh, he met a pastor, a, a Baptist pastor named Frederick Gates. And Frederick Gates said this to Rockefeller. Rockefeller was actually interviewing Gates for a different job. And, and Gates said to him, Mr. Rockefeller, your, your money is rolling up, rolling up like a wave. And if you don't do something about it, it's going to crush you and your family. And Rockefeller was so moved at that point that he realized, you're right. I don't know what to do with all this money. And I've been keeping it all for myself, and it's killing me. And so Rockefeller did something unique. I think the Holy Spirit was in this moment because what Rockefeller did is he said, I need help, including Jesus, in my business. And he said, Mr. Gates, would you help me? And he hired Mr. Gates. And you know what Mr. Gates did? He, he said to John Rockefeller, he said, I think what we need to do is start giving this money away. And Rockefeller said, okay, let's start with $600,000. Rockefeller was a billionaire, right? And Gates was like, all right. And then the next day, Gates was like, how about a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more? By the end of their time together, Rockefeller and Gates would give away $558 million. They were the largest. They gave away more money than any other tycoon in history per capita. It, it, $558 million in the 1890s is billions and billions and billions and billions of today's dollars. And Rockefeller said this at the end of his life, if your only goal is to become rich, you will never achieve it. Nothing that can satisfy but Christ. So the first thing that the Holy Spirit does is to help us to see who Jesus is. And that if you miss Jesus, you end up missing everything. Because when you get Jesus, then the empire that you've created, the business that you've created, the family that you've created, the, the art that you've created, the beauty that you've created in your life, it doesn't all turn to ash. You actually get to enjoy it all. And that's what God wants for you. Let's go back to the verse, verse 8. So when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Verse 9, we did that about sin because people do not believe in me. Let's do verse 10. About righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. Well, this is terribly confusing. What in the world is Jesus saying? About righteousness because I am going to the Father. And, and this is what Jesus is saying is this is that the Holy Spirit will always remind you that your rightness, that your right standing, or that your righteousness is not what you have done. It's what Jesus has done for you. Does that make sense? You don't go to the Father to plead your case. Jesus goes to the Father to plead your case for you. Read it with me. Next, word, next slide. The Holy Spirit will always remind you that your righteousness is not what you have done. It's what Jesus has done for you. Now, I know we don't like the idea of having no control over our reputation or, or whether or not we can make ourselves right before God's eyes. We want to help. Just let me do something. I got to make it right somehow. A while ago, two and a half years ago, I was walking and talking with a friend about his life, and he was describing some of the mistakes that he had made in his life, and 
was feeling bad about him. And as I talked about this idea of forgiveness and this idea about God granting his righteousness to him, um, that, that Jesus had earned everything that my, my friend needed to earn, my friend kind of balked. He recoiled. He's like, I, I, look, I got to do something, Andy. I got to make up for the wrong that I've done. And I said, well, how's that going? And he says, well, I've been trying for years to make it right. And I said, you know, is that an enjoyable process? And he says, no, I'm miserable. And so as we were walking and talking, and I, like I invited my friend right there, I said, why don't you invite the Holy Spirit right now to be present with you? And my friend looks at me and goes, like, like right, right now? I said, yeah, right now. Out loud. Like, like pray out loud. And my friend goes, okay. He says, come, Holy Spirit, come. Come, please be with me, Holy Spirit. And we're walking down the street. And like two seconds later, tears start flowing down his cheeks. And he would tell me later in that day, just as after he prayed for the Holy Spirit to come, he would tell me that he could see all of these burdens. Like the moment that he asked the Holy Spirit to be present, he could see all of these burdens of his past mistakes and all of the weight of him trying to make it all right by himself. He could see them being lifted off of his shoulders. That's why he was crying. I was awesome because I got to see him smile for the first time that day. So what have we learned in John 16 so far about the Holy Spirit? Dale Bruner sums it up. He says, the most profound wrong in the world is the failure to trust that Jesus is who he says he is. And the most profoundly right thing in the world that ever happened in the world is the career of Jesus and his return to the Father. So the Holy Spirit convicts us of what's wrong when we miss Jesus and don't include him in his, our life. And then the Holy Spirit convicts us of what is right, that we can get off the hamster wheel of trying to make ourselves perfect and allow Jesus to give us the gift that he wants to give us, which is that your righteousness and right standing before God is given to you. Picking up what Jesus is putting down so far, this is what the Holy Spirit does in your verse. Okay, here it is. Verses again, right it is. So when the Holy Spirit comes, he will prove to the world to be in the wrong. So he's going to help us understand about three things. Sin, what's wrong? Righteousness, what's right? And the third one, judgment, who wins? So skip down to verse 11. And about judgment, read this with me. Because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Give me a little bit more oomph as you read the fact that the devil is now gone and, and like destroyed. Ready? Come on, put some, put some pizzazz into it. Ready? Verse 11. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Woo! That's right, baby. I love this one. Jesus wins. Jesus wins. The Holy Spirit shows us and the world of this truth. No matter how bad it looks out there, no matter how much the media is fitzing and anxious and sweating and everything's falling apart. Wrong. It's getting better. Literally, it's getting better before our eyes. Why? Because Jesus wins. The devil is defeated, both out there and in your own heart. God's kingdom is advancing across this planet in remarkable ways. Did you know that, that the Holy Spirit is your defender, your counselor, who, the one who's fighting for your freedom. And by the way, he's not just doing this for you. He's doing this across the world. Did you know that there's a revival happening in China right now? 
that there's more Christians in China than there are people in the United States? That's the reason why the Chinese government is trying to destroy the church is because you don't, you don't destroy something that's not a threat. I'm not worried about China. Don't be worried about China. Just give it a couple more decades and China will be the largest Christian nation in the world. And they'll look at us and go, y'all need to repent. <laughs> Did you know that right now that there is a revival breaking out in Africa and South America, that the fastest growing churches in the world are in South America and in Africa, that, that only within uh, the last decade, I mean, it's uh, literally exploding. Like seas of people are giving their life to Jesus in one moment. Like, there have been many, 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 many documented reports of resurrection happening through prayer in Africa. Right now. The world is getting better. Jesus is winning. You have an iPhone. When's the last time anybody looked at a phone book? He's winning, y'all. It's getting better. Now, now, yeah, amen. Like, I can tell you story after story after story of people praying, and then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit breaks that bondage of speaking to demons and watching them snarl and squeal while they finally confess that the master of the universe is not Satan, but it's Jesus. They, they get mad, and they say, Jesus is Lord. Fine. I've had that conversation many times. Jesus wins. I could tell you that story, but that's not the story that you care about. The story you care about is what you're dealing with. Like you have issues that you're facing, diagnoses that you're working through, people that you care about right now, like issues in your life, in your marriage, in your finances, that you're just like, you, how's this going to work out? Here's what the Holy Spirit's going to tell you. I got it covered. I win. I've won. I'm your defender. I'm your protector. I'm going to lead you into freedom. I'm doing it right now. Amen? Amen? Verse 13, read this with me. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. The, the word picture here is beautiful, that the Holy Spirit is always going to be listening to what our Heavenly Father is saying. Our Heavenly Father is constantly scheming to bless you, constantly scheming to love you, constantly scheming to, to make sure that everything works out just the way that it is. And he'll use any palette of paint that he can get. It doesn't matter if it's suffering or joy. It doesn't matter if it's anxiety or peace. It doesn't matter if it's chaos or order. He will take any, any palette and he will create something beautiful out of it because he's always speaking to you. And the Holy Spirit is listening to your heavenly Father speak. And the Holy Spirit is translating what God is saying in a way, such a way that you can understand it. Isn't that good news? Wouldn't it be awful if, the whole, if God the Father is speaking and all he said is, Andy, donde estas? Apuridissimo. Andale, andale, Andy. It's like, I don't speak Spanish, God. I can't understand what you're saying to me. 
Like we don't have to do any translation work. The Holy Spirit is listening to your Heavenly Father and then speaking exactly what He's saying in a way that you can understand it. So back to my walk with my friend. So I've just asked my friend to pray. I say, you know, come Holy Spirit, come. And by mid-sentence, you know, the Holy Spirit is bringing my friend to tears. And my friend then starts listing all of his suffering and fears and griefs and failures and, and all the moments that he'd been holding on to for a long time. And as my friend describes it, this walk that he was having with me was amazing because the Holy Spirit was so present with him. And at the same time, it was really annoying because we kept on walking by people and, and they're looking at him and me and both of us are crying, right? And we're talking and so he's like, and they're giving us odd looks. Have you ever walked down the street and see two young guys in their 30s? Maybe I'm in my 30s. <laughs> two young guys crying as they're walking and talking? Like, that's an odd sight. Amen? So, it, it was an interesting walk. And here's what I didn't even realize or even understand when, when we started this walk. That my friend wasn't a Christian. I didn't know that. I thought, because he wanted to talk to a pastor, that he was a Christian. But it was the first time that I had ever met him. But I just assumed, because his fiance had said, hey, would you be willing to talk to my, my fiance? He was like, oh, yeah, you, well, you're a Christian. He must be a Christian. And so I just assumed that he knew Jesus. He didn't. And so, so the first time that I asked my friend to pray out loud was the first time that he had ever prayed at all. And he prayed out loud. It's the first, he was nervous. I thought he was nervous because he had something to talk about. He was nervous because he had never talked to a pastor before. It's like going to the vice principal's office in junior high. Oh man, I've really screwed up now, right? And in the moment, the, the moment that I asked him to say, come Holy Spirit, come, he would tell me three days later, Andy, that was the moment I became a Christian. When he told me that three days later, I was like, What? I didn't, I didn't even know. Now, if I didn't know, that, if I had known that he wasn't a Christian, I would have totally messed that conversation up, right? I would have been like, so um, let's talk about the history and the theology and the archaeology. And, like, I would, have, like, I would have gotten all nervous and anxious, but it was so fascinating. Because I thought he was a Christian, I was like, okay, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to say? And the Holy Spirit kept on nudging me to, like, say particular things and ask particular questions and invite him to pray. And I was like, all right, well, he loves you, so I'll just, you know, step out on a limb and, and say, well, this is what I'm getting from God. You know, you want to try this? And uh, it, was, it was absolutely incredible. Uh, so the Holy Spirit was leading me into truth, telling me exactly what I needed to say next. And the Holy Spirit was leading my friend into truth, defending him, protecting him, helping him to be set free. Wow. Yeah. So, so at one point, my friend said, or my Holy Spirit said, well, tell him what Jesus has done for you. So it's like, okay, you know, Jesus... Look, Jesus has paid the price for all your sins. Every, everything that you know is wrong, Jesus has paid for. And Jesus has given you his righteousness. So all the ways that you need to be right, it's a gift. And at the end of our walk, I'm still oblivious that he's not a Christian, that he's just invited Jesus into his life for the first time. At the end of our walk, I asked my friend, 
I said, hey, why don't you listen to what the Holy Spirit wants to say to you? And I do this all the time when I talk with y'all. You, you might know this about me. Right? Like I'm, I'm, I'm always going to take the risk of being quiet in prayer because every single time I do, the Holy Spirit always speaks. Always. Every time. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's your defender and your protector and He's with you and He's always leading you into all truth. You're never going to get crickets from the Holy Spirit. Ever. So I said to him, okay, well, well why, why don't you, why don't you just listen? And so as he was listening, we were walking in silence. My friend looked at me and said, well, I think what the Holy Spirit just told me is this. You're my beloved son, and I'm doing something new in you, and I'm creating something new. Now it's two and a half years ago, and three weeks ago, I got to be the best man in his wedding. And the wedding was at my house, and I got to perform the wedding. And his name is Trevor, and he's the custodian of our church. Look, the Holy Spirit is doing, is active in this place right now. You felt it in worship. You're hearing something right now. You've heard something today where you need to like, I, I got to make a decision right now. I've got to... I've got, to, I've, got to, I've got to take what the Holy Spirit has told me, and I need to, to, to make a decision about that right now. And maybe you've never even invited the Holy Spirit into your life. Maybe we could pray the same prayer that Trevor did two and a half years ago. But maybe afterwards, when we're up here and we have people to pray with you, maybe you need to come and we need to pray about that thing that you've made a decision about so that it's blessed and sealed and we can encourage you in it. Amen? Can we pray that same prayer? Can I pray for you? I'll, I'll pray. We'll all pray together, but I'll speak the words, all right? Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Fill our hearts with your presence. As we breathe in right now, come, fill us. Lead us. Defend us. Deliver us. Protect us. Jesus, when you begin the pruning process, help us to stick around and say yes. And Holy Spirit, when you ask us to make a decision to trust you like you're doing today, we now say yes. And Holy Spirit, I pray for my friends right now. Bless and seal all the good things that you've done in their heart this morning. Protect the enemy from, prevent the enemy from choking out that new growth or, or, or harassing or discouraging my friends. And God, we're so grateful that you do not orphan us on this earth to try and be better all by ourselves, but you give us the greatest gift that we could ever have, a down payment on heaven. Your very presence with us, Holy Spirit, thank you. And all God's people said,